0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. One of the biggest challenges Christians face is proclaiming the truth when we know there will be challenges to what we believe. Here's First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page with the sermon, Soul Strength.
1: All right, that was great, good job. Um, And again, thank you. I was so embarrassed to hear how many of you said Steve Page is the bravest person. It was just embarrassing for me. You know, my wife and son are back there. Whoever's sitting back there that they spoke to, if they didn't say my name, let me know. Let me know. Could be trouble at home. Well, aloha, everyone. My name is Steve Page, one of the pastors on staff here, and it's my honor to bring the Word of God to you. And in a minute, I will share about one of the bravest persons I know. But first, I want to begin by asking a very odd question to uh, people in Hawaii. You don't normally get asked this question, but I'm going to ask it. How many of you have ever been caught in a severe blizzard when you've been on the mainland or another country or something like that? Oh, good, a good chunk of you, a number of you have. All right. Well, I have, and I'll tell you what, it can be very disorienting. In fact, because the snow just blinds you while you're driving, you, you lose a total sense while you're on the road because the road gets filled up quickly, you can't see very far, so you don't know that those white dotted lines started to bend right, so you just kept going, and suddenly you're in front of a telephone pole. It's a real disaster. So this could be such a real danger on the mainland that in the Midwest, farmers during the winter would run a thick rope from the barn to the front door of their home. And they did this because if they were ever out at the barn during a blizzard, taking care of the animals or what have you, they needed a rope to get back to the house. Because, because what would happen sometimes is that they would try to go from the barn to the home during the blizzard, but people would get so disoriented on their way back to the house is that the, the next day they would find some of these farmers frozen to death in their very backyard. Now look, to me this is a very sobering metaphor how life can be sometimes, even as Christians. How many of us know what it's like to be soulfully disoriented because of the blizzards that overwhelm our lives? Blizzards maybe not made of snow, but maybe they're made of emotional pain or physical suffering or, or a sense of uh, a relationship that was ended up in betrayal. Or maybe sometimes you feel the blizzard by the job-related or the family pressures that, that constantly press in on us, or, or even maybe perhaps by the cultural chaos that, that seems just hopeless to heal or change in our present day. You know, these kinds of blizzards have left many of God's people hurt, depleted, disoriented, and soulfully wrecked, pastors included. So today we're going to reflect through a psalm written by a person who found strength for their soul in a blizzard as they faced the challenges of their life. Now it may help to know that the word psalm means song. And just like good worship songs today, they cover a gamut of human emotions and experiences in life and life with God. In the Psalms, you'll find rapturous praises and and, and comforting promises and agonizing utterances and even bitter rants. In other words, you find the stuff of real life on a journey with God. So today's reading comes from Psalm 138, and in it, you will quickly see that this is a psalm of praise. But as I say, this is not an easy praise that this psalmist has. A life that is one of only smooth sailing. No, not this guy. This guy knows pain as well as praise. Anyone know how to sing that song? Not only of praise, but pain and praise? Please stand with me as I read from the scriptures in Psalm 138. And it goes like this. I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For, through the Lord, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the anger of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of of your hands this is the word of the lord thank you to god you may be seated as alluded to psalms are biblical poetry with poetry you don't just read the lines you got to read between the lines you got to read beneath the lines in order to see the circumstances that gave rise to all these emotions in the psalm um, and and expressed through the words there so for example in verse one the writer says i give thanks O lord with my whole heart very passionate statement with my whole heart, before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, at face value, look at that. It's a little ho-hum. That's what you're supposed to say when you pray to God or something like that. But you've got to look beneath. Look beneath and we see something so much bigger going on. I mean, again, look at the latter part of that verse. Before the gods, I sing your praise. That's a, why would he say that? Why mention singing praise before other gods? Well, this gives us a clue as to the circumstances in which this writer lives. In other words, he's, he's not saying this among his own people, writing this among his own fellow worshipers who worship the God of Israel. He is not in a place where the people around him have the same values as he has or the same religion as he has or the same moral compass that he has. He is in a culture. He is in a value system. He is in a blizzard of other gods. And I remember, you know, what it's like to live in a, and, and work in a place like this when I was a missionary in Asia for a number of years where the Christian population was microscopic to the, to, uh, as compared to the larger culture. For example, when I was in Nepal for a while, I, I never imagined there could be so many statues, so many shrines, so many temples with so many gods uh, in one place. Moreover, it was in that country where it was illegal to convert to Christianity. If someone led someone else to Christ, both the evangelist and the person who gave their life to Christ got a six year sentence. My point is the pressure to be impacted by or even be conformed by the greatest religious or cultural pressures around us can be enormous. And this was something like what this psalm writer was experiencing as well. Furthermore, when you read these words, you can't read it through just 21st century perspectives. We must understand that in the ancient world, gods were not just those be beings uh, for whom people came around once on a Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and at 10 o'clock, hang out for an hour and sang songs. That's not how it worked in the ancient world. You see, the gods formed and influenced society in every aspect. They formed and influenced politics. They formed and influenced human value, economics, family life, justice, farming, pregnancy, marriage, Whatever. So when he talks about worshiping the God of Israel with all his heart, he is declaring an entirely different value system, an entirely different purpose to religious matters or life than the gods that surround him. He is calling people to orient their lives, their entire lives around him, even if they are among other gods and other cultures. Now in Hawaii... And in our country as a whole, we may not feel the pressure certainly to worship other gods on Sunday or any other day during the week. However, we do exist in a time where there is a great deal of spiritual disorientation and cultural cultural pressure that is going on, that is influencing and forming and perhaps even conforming the way we live, the way we think, and the way we speak and interact with the world. Have you ever in your journey as a Christian been in that place where you felt like your soul and your role in life, your role in the culture, were at odds with each other because of the larger pressures, the cultural pressures on your life? For example, how many of us have felt the the cultural demand in our workplaces to work in a manner that undermines, if not directly assaults, our deeply held Christian values? Now, some of you might have heard me tell the story before, but it's worth telling you again that while I was in seminary, I worked for a while in an accounting office, and it was late at night. All the other accountants left but one guy, and this guy was pacing back and forth and back and forth in his cubicle, and he looked very, very disturbed and distressed. So I asked him, I said, look, man, what's going on? He says, well, it's these numbers on the sheet of paper. I said, what's wrong? He says, they're all bad. My boss knows they're bad. The client knows they're bad. I know they're bad. I said, well, then don't sign them. He says, I can't, this is a big one, this is a big one. My boss wants me to sign these papers anyway. Now, can you imagine that dilemma between the soul and the role at that point? If he doesn't sign it, he loses a big client, and then he probably loses his job. If he does sign it, he keeps the client, but loses his integrity. We talked for a little bit while longer, but in the end, the man signed the documents with the bad numbers. Now, look, I don't tell that story to disparage or condemn him only to point out how easy it is to get so caught up in the blizzard that, 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 it, can, that it can overwhelm our, our deepest commitments as a person, as a Christian, our convictions in life. So it's no easy thing to keep your worship right when we're under such pressure by cultural gods of success, of money, of career, or what have you. See, my point is our world, our culture is filled with dehumanizing pressures to compromise your integrity for the sake of a business deal or to compromise your voice so people won't reject you or or they won't be upset with you if you open your mouth. Or maybe you feel the the pressure to to keep silent about your point of view of things in order to keep your job, in order to keep your marriage, in order to keep your friendships or what have you. So it really is. We've got to hear the words and the encouragement of this psalm. I encourage you to have courage, to never bend the knee to the values, to the culture, to to the systems, to the beliefs of other gods that surround us and press in on us. And look, I know that's a lot to ask sometimes. It's a lot easy for me to say that up here. It's so difficult to live it in the real world. And that's why verse three is so crucial in a time like ours, because it says this. And make this a prayer of your heart. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. And it's perhaps because of the constant pressures of this world to not live in a manner that is of God, that the idea of being bold and courageous and being strong in soul is is a frequent theme throughout the scriptures. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, you hear this kind of thing again and again. You know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul strongly urged the Corinthian church, which is like a thousand years after this psalm was written, he strongly urges them, that as they live out amongst their cultural pressures to live like this, check out, check out verses 13 and 14, 1 Corinthians 16, keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. And you know, I love that in verse 13, it sounds like Paul giving a speech to his football team before they took the field. Keep alert, stand firm, be courageous, be strong, go, fight, win. You know, doesn't he sound like that in a locker room? Sounds pretty cool. So the thing is, why do you have have to be so hard pounding and so emphatic as a Christian when you're trying to encourage others? Because he knows the temptation to go along in order to get along will always be there for us, pressuring against us, especially especially in a divisive culture that we live in today. Look, I'm going to be honest, you know, in recent years, cultural ideas and ideologies like critical theory, identity politics, or even the rise of Christian nationalism have led to very challenging circumstances, challenging nearly every facet of our Christian belief and practice as a people of God. And over the last many months, maybe a couple of years, I've been reading article after article after article about professors and now even doctors, both conservative and liberal, Christian and non-Christian, are now self-censoring, refraining from teaching material that they have always taught. And they do this out of fear, fear of reprisals, fear of their loss of job or loss of employment, the fear of possibly losing the grants that they need to do their work, fear, fear, And this kind of pressure isn't just for older people. Younger people feel it as well. Let me give you an example of a teenage girl who had her beliefs challenged but would not be silenced by the pressures of her school culture. She was 16 years old at the time, and her English teacher was teaching that the Bible was fiction. And she often mischaracterized Christian beliefs along the way to the students and the students who had no idea about the Bible were just kind of shaking their head in agreement. Well, this teenage girl tried to correct her teacher numerous times, but she was immediately rebuffed by the teacher. Well, one day, this girl had enough, and she wrote up a five-page document uh, of complaints to give to her principal, um, a principal, by the way, of a public school. This was not a private school. This was a public school. So she wanted to make a complaint, and four other students agreed to sign the paper with her and submit it to the principal. Well, the day finally comes, and she's standing there, you know, with the the five sheets of paper there, or whatever it was uh, that she had, to show up to give to the principal, and you know what? Nobody else went with her. She was all by herself. Nonetheless, she felt very convicted by the Lord to still meet with this principal anyway. Now, oddly enough... This is what gets me. This principal actually tried to talk the girl out of filing this complaint because he said the teacher might retaliate against you. Think about that for a second. And so so the girl, she said, look, you know, I want to do it. He says, why don't you just wait till the end of the year? She says, no, I want to do it now. It's just a few more months. No, I want to do it now. So she stood her ground and insisted on filing that complaint. Now, after that, the principal and I had a conversation about the whole thing, and he tried to convince me to talk this girl out of submitting this complaint at that time. Now, you're probably thinking, why in the world is he talking to me? Because that 16-year-old girl was my daughter. She had a lot of guts. And here's the thing. I was astounded of how, how he defended the misguided views about Christianity. And I said, sir, excuse me, but I've been to seminary twice. And trust me, what you're saying is not Christianity. But he insisted on it anyway. And again, he tried to convince me to, 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 to tell my daughter to wait. Because again, he told me, he, he feared retaliation. I said, pal, if you got a teacher who might retaliate against a 16-year-old, you got bigger problems than I understand. I actually said that to him. Well, in the end, here's what happened. The principal called the teacher in, read the five pages to her, and she was unhappy. However, she did not mischaracterize Christianity again. Now, please forgive my fatherly pride as I tell that story But I I, I tell it to emphasize why boldness and a strong soul is needed every age at any age. Because the world, our culture, will not make it easy to be a Christian. It will often challenge God's truth, God's best, God's intentions for humanity. And I also tell that story to illustrate how taking a bold and courageous stand for the Lord can actually change the way things are, even if you're a teenager. Folks, if we don't stay rightly oriented to God's word, to God's ways, to God's truth, if we don't stay rightly oriented to the rope in the blizzard, we will easily feel pressure to hold back from speaking difficult things that must be said, and the world will be the lesser for it, amen? Now here I am reminded by the words of 19th century pastor Philip Brooks. He's the writer of the lyrics for O Little Town of Bethlehem. Same guy. And he wrote this to the men of his age, but I think it really applies also to the women of our age today. He said these wonderful words. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. Amen? Now, that being said, being strong and courageous as a Christian does not mean we get a free pass to uh, not love those whom we feel is creating the cultural blizzard around us. Love, not hostility or rage, characterizes Christian strength and courage. Or to put it another way, real courage is loaded with Christian character, not just sharp words. Listen to, as a proverb writer put it in, in Proverbs 16, he put it like this. Better a patient person than a warrior. One who controls their spirit than one who takes a city. When you think of Brayhart taking a city and that kind of a thing, he says better to be patient, better to be in control of your spirit, better have the right heart of the Lord. Or to put it another way, it takes absolutely no courage to spew outrage, but it may take, it will probably take every ounce of courage to show love in the face of outrage, in the face of persecution or pressure. As Winston Churchill once put it, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. So this means for me as a preacher, I must boldly check my heart before I boldly and loudly open my mouth. I know that's what you were thinking. (laughs) Again, remember in verse 14 from Paul, This is perhaps why he he said what he said about including, including that directive on love just after he talked about stand strong, be firm, be courageous, all this kind of a thing. Because there is no real Christian courage or strength or boldness without love pouring through our veins. Now, as much as we need courage and soul strength to lovingly stand against the big cultural issues of our day, it is also needed to face the hurt that we find within. There's one word the psalmist used in Psalm 138 that shows us this very thing. It's in verse 7 where he says this. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trouble you preserve me against the anger of my enemies. See, the word trouble here It's not this outward thing. it, It means distress. It means anguish. It's a word that focuses on the inner emotional pain, not just the exterior circumstance. In other words, he's not only in a challenging place with outward foes, but he is in a painful one within his soul. And maybe right now you are in that journey. You know, one day you were feeling great and full of God's strength, and then boom, you were quickly brought to your knees because of a sudden diagnosis or an accident, news of affairs, or a loss of income, loss of a job. Or perhaps your kids have moved out and you're, and you're facing each other for the first time in decades, facing the emptiness of the relationship that somehow crept its way into your relationship with your spouse. Yes, I think many of us have been to the place of verse 7, trouble. And I highlight this because it takes a great deal of courage to not only speak the truth to that big pagan world out there, but to simply speak the truth to yourself about the pain right here. Sometimes in the seasons of life, some seasons of life, the most courageous thing you can do with God and for God is to face the truth of your life. And about all those things that keep you from being what God intended. You know, I'm in a men's group at church. We meet on Wednesday nights, a small cluster of guys, about five of us. And each week, we uh, take great relational risks with each other and step further into the deep end of the pool of truth about ourselves And we've been opening up about things and naming things and having conversations about things that some guys in the group says, hey, man, I have never had this kind of conversation with a guy for more than four decades. That's how real it's getting. And we've been also then lovingly challenging each other to move towards greater things as a man of God. But why, why are we committed to being so open, honest, and real? Why is that the standard? Because we all realize that we can only heal, we can only grow as men of God through the truth. I mean, have you ever heard someone say to you, man, I really grew in my faith all the while I was in denial. <laughs> or I grew to be a greater man of God because I lied to myself. No one says that. Because it can not happen. As I like to tell folks, we cannot heal. We speak the truth because we cannot heal what we don't reveal. We cannot fix what we don't face. Because what stays hidden stays hurting, stays trouble for our lives. Men especially, hear me out. And this safe and sacred space that these other men provide freed me up just the other day, last Wednesday, to confess some of my actions that were not exactly in line with God's best for my life. And they heard me out, they held my confession, gave me some wisdom and feedback. And I took that. It was amazing. They impacted me so much that on Friday when I went into solitude, silence, and prayer, I brought their thoughts and words with me, and it launched me into such a real conversation of God. And when I say real, I mean to tell you it was not a very pious discussion with God. It was stone-cold sober talk with Jesus. And praise God, no lightning. I'm good to go. But it was my brothers who helped me get there. And by the time I finished that prayer time, I'm telling you, I was so greatly affected. I felt so much closer to God because of what these men provided for me. Look, if you're in a small group, and if you're not in a small group, please get in one. If you're in a small group, I ask you this. Settle for nothing less than seeing each other become bold, become strong of of soul, to become courageous through being open, honest, and real with each other through asking the hard questions of each other, not to put each other in uh, in your place, but so your soul can grow as God intended. What is personally going on in your life that continues to be trouble for your soul, a trouble that may be causing disorientation towards your hope with God, a trouble that might be whispering doubts into your soul about God's love and care for you? Can you share that trouble with other trusted people? Which leads me to the last portion of this psalm, which is really an echo of the beginning of the psalm. Back in verse 2, he talked about that. I bow down to your temple, O Lord, and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. Now he bookends this psalm with the exact same sentiment. Here in verse 8, he says this. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. You will be faithful to me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. See, here is a a God-sized hope being expressed in the face of his challenges. See, this writer is confident that God will bring about his best for this person, not because this person is faithful, not because this person is loving, not because this person has their life together, but because of how faithful God is and how steadfast his love is for this writer. Now, because of this great concept, this is such an important concept in the Hebrew scriptures. I gotta drill down on this a little bit more. See, steadfast love comes out of one Hebrew word it's Hasid. Maybe you have heard of Hasidic Jews, right? Very very devoted sect of of, of Jewish people. You'll see them a lot in New York City. And you'll understand why they name themselves Hasidic Jews because of the meaning of this word. It's a word that connotes a deep, loyal, tenacious love that refuses to call it quits especially in a relationship. It's a word, it's a word that use, is used to describe an act when, when one helps the, another person who is unable to help themselves. That's hasid, Hasidic love. Hasid is also used to describe the act of extending grace to people when they certainly did not deserve it. And this is why it is one of the central characteristics of God that ancient Israel frequently used as they spoke about God. Now, look, I know this all sounds pretty lofty and idealistic, and, and, and you know, if, if we just kind of leave it there, it doesn't do us any good, but I dwell on it because, because just think of, of life, of people's lives, if they don't experience Hasidic, steadfast, unfailing love. Think about this, seriously. Think of all the mental health issues that arise, all the relational issues that arise because a person has never encountered unfailing love. They've never experienced that unconditional, tenacious, I won't let go of you no matter what kind of love. Or to say it from a different angle, what happens to troubled marriages? What happens to troubled marriages if tenacious, committed, Hasidic love characterized that relationship? What happens to troubled marriages? What happens to the divorce rate? What happens to people with shame or people pleasing if that kind of love is finally internalized in their lives? That stuff starts to disappear. What happens to suicide rates? What happens to child abuse? What happens to racial tensions? What happens to to, to sexism in our culture? Do you see what I'm saying? When that stuff is present, it changes everything. And this is why the psalmist praises God for God's Hasidic love. Not because it's this nice, churchy, spiritual thing that you're supposed to say, God, because you're praising him in a song, but because, folks, he writes this because he knows that we are completely shocked as a person, as a family, as a community, as a culture without it. Amen? It is the rope in the blizzard. and Right before... The sermon, the greeting question was, who is the bravest person you know? Well, this is outside my wife. I say that because my wife's over there. <laughs> this is the second bravest person I know. I'm going to close with a story um, of a, a person I only recently met. And uh, not only because it's the bravest, one of the bravest persons I know of, but also is a person who's learned how to internalize the Hasidic, steadfast, unfailing love of God, and it blows me away. Her name is Heather. And she's given me permission to share some of her story. For most of her life, she was very active and vivacious. And of course, you know, when she was a young gal, she studied ballet. When she was college age, she went and studied overseas for like a year in Spain. And she traveled a lot outside of college. She went on to grad school, became a, a, a Spanish teacher at, at the University of Hawaii. And uh, apparently, she was a very big hit with her students and, and, and with her colleagues. And she ended up she was given the award for excellence in teaching at the university. And she didn't tell me this. I had to look this up online. She would never say this to me. Look, if I won an award for excellence in teaching, I'd make that my middle name. Ha! My name is Steve. I won an award in excellent teaching. Page. That's a, that would be me. But this girl would never tell me that. However, eight years ago, she was stricken with a very unexpected illness. She suffers from the debilitating disease called reflex sympathetic dystrophy, or chronic regional pain syndrome. This syndrome is incurable and it's progressively getting worse. And it's one of the most painful diseases that a person could ever experience. It is so debilitating that she can now hardly get out of bed or even talk on the phone. All our correspondence has been by texting and snail mail. You know, conversations are so difficult for her on the phone, just to talk on the phone, that she gets so nauseated that she actually can lose consciousness. So here's the thing. As I communicate with my sister in Christ, whose life has been dramatically altered, whose life is in extreme pain every minute of every day, her correspondence with me is filled with praise and thanksgiving to God. She has written, and I quote, God's grace has given has been more than sufficient, and I am a joyful and grateful Christian. She says she sustains her faith by putting my focus on others and their pain and praying for them and focus, all, focus on all of God's infinite blessings, God's infinite blessings on my life. And I'm reading this thinking, infinite blessings. Moreover, she says, I don't think that if Christ suffered on purpose for us knuckleheads, she wrote that, if Christ suffered on purpose for, our, for us knuckleheads and he suffered in so many painful ways to save us, how could I ever complain about my pain and my circumstances. And I'm thinking, I can give you a few ways to complain. I have a black belt in complaining to God, trust me. (laughs) Finally, just like the psalmist, Heather boldly proclaims this, God has never failed me and never will. I just wanna stay sane, grounded, grateful and centered on Christ. And hopefully, she says, I can still shine my little light for him look for me Heather doesn't just shine a little light she is like the blazing sun for God you know a little while ago we sang that song when there's pain in the offering blessed be her name sound nice and easy to sing that sounds nice she lives this every minute of every moment of every day brave look straight up I might be the Reverend Steve Page, but I'm going to confess to you, I do not have faith like that, at least not yet. I hope to one day, but I can be honest with you and say it's not there yet. But I share her story because when we use terms like steadfast love, it can sound so super spiritual, so ethereal that it it basically becomes meaningless for our lives. So let Heather's story, not my words, but let Heather's story speak to you about the real life power of God's steadfast love and let her story be like a song, be like a psalm to to all of us of how we really actually can walk with both pain and praise in our lives with him when we are impacted and internalized his steadfast love. You know, in a moment, we're going to take communion here which is a time we're especially reminded of the suffering and death of Christ, our wounded Lord. And as we prepare our hearts for it, what I want to be ringing in your minds is this last quote by a a church historian, Roberta Bondi. She said this, Jesus rose from the dead in the joy of his resurrection, yet he did not cease to be who he had been at the worst moment of his death. He rose with his wounds and through the unfailing tenacious and gracious love of God, so can you. As I close my sermon with prayer, um, I want to ask you, do you know, do you know this tenacious, constant, unfailing love of God for your life? If not, I want you to pray with me in a moment to give your life to him so you can know, like Heather, of God's surpassing, unbelievable love and for those of us who know the Lord but may sit here today uncertain about his love, maybe because we're, we're not gaining the job we want, we're not getting the position we want, we're not getting the income we want, we're not getting the marriage we want, the kids we want, we're not getting the life we want. In other words, you sit here with troubles of your own. Maybe some of you feel like the words that we sang before as well. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Maybe that's where you're at today. I'm going to pray for you too. So let's just take a breath. Close your eyes. Sit attentively before the Lord and just breathe. What is God saying to you? Lord, some of us sit here watching on a screen or sitting in these seats, and we feel so weak, we feel so overwhelmed, we feel like we're walking in a blizzard relationally, soulfully, psychologically, economically, financially. Lord, help us find the rope. And Lord, I pray that they would be filled with soul strength that comes from your Holy Spirit, and they would tangibly experience your faithfulness to them because of your unfailing love. And for those of you who want to give your life fully to Jesus today, just follow me in this simple prayer Lord Jesus, I need you. I confess the emptiness of my life without you. Forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. And thank you for your deep, unfailing love for me. And as best as I know how, I commit my life. To you, come and fill me with your Spirit today. In your gracious and unfailing love, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, now we're going to uh, finish our time together in this service, having communion together. By the way, if you're here in the audience, please you can start ripping open your communion packet. If you're at home, please grab the juice and the bread or, or wine that you're you're going to be utilizing for communion. Um, Our sermon today really is such a great ramp-up to a sacred celebration like this because the unfailing love of God is, is, is never more clearly expressed than in the sacrifice of His Son for us because of our sins. This meal has devoted tenacious, enduring, unfailing love written all over it. And as I often say during communion, look, we all come from different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities or what have you, but whatever else we do not share in common, we will always share Jesus' common, both now and forevermore. He has cemented that bond between us so we can celebrate that as well. Well, you at home and you here together in our church, please receive this blessing. May God fill you with a sense, a tangible sense, of his unfailing love for you. And may you, out of gratefulness for that love, be the hands, the arms, the ears, and the words of God to a world that is so caught up in the pain and troubles and blizzards of life. May you be his voice to them to bring healing and hope and find that rope that gets them home to the Lord. To God be all the glory, and in his wonderful and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're watching online, we want to thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate your presence here. Um, Please, you can watch this service all over again. It'll be put online. You guys can sit down, by the way. Um, You can watch this service again online. It'll be put online tomorrow. Um, And also... If you were a person uh, at home and you prayed that prayer with me about giving your life to Jesus, just hit the the raise the hand button and you'll be taken into a private chat area with one of our prayer team members. And we want to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you. And we want to help maybe provide some information for you to help you on your journey with Jesus. And anyone here in the sanctuary, if you prayed that prayer with me, at the end of service, we have our prayer ministry team that will meet outside that door in that corner of the sanctuary. And please, please share uh, what you what you did by giving your life to Jesus. We wanna pray and celebrate with you. Or if you just need prayer of any kind, please don't hesitate to seek them out. And if you're online we, and you wanna continue uh, this conversation about what we sang about and prayed about and talked about, then just hit that connect group button. It'll take you right into a live forum uh, with other folks who will wanna continue the discussion with you. It's a great way to meet new people. So please check that out. But again, Thank you so much for joining us online. We will see you next week. God bless you and aloha.
0: A steadfast love gives us the courage to declare the truth of Jesus Christ. If you missed any of today's sermon or if you want to catch up on something you missed, you can find past sermons on our websites. FPCHawaii.org and theVineHawaii.org. You can also find this sermon on most major podcast services. In-person worship has resumed but in limited capacity and there are two live services at 8am and 10am. If you'd like to participate you'll need to sign up through the website on a weekly basis and both services will be streamed live on the church websites. Once again, fpchawaii.org, and thevinehawaii.org. Continue to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and registration for in-person worship. If you have any questions or needs, you can reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.